This. This is, this is diversified, diversified, diversified game, game, game. game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. My name is Cynthia Aram Ofoyjumfor. I am the group head of marketing and corporate affairs for Holland Ghana. And Holland Ghana is um, an insurance group in Ghana made up of um, mainly two companies, Holland Insurance and Holland Life Assurance. And um, my life is pretty much everything communications and marketing. And I'm excited to be um, having this conversation with you today. Hey, it's Kellen. And today on Diversified Game, you guys, when I say this is one of my favorite topics to talk about, we are going to be talking about public relations, PR. I have another PRtist because yes, she does PR, but I see the art in her and you guys know I'm extremely nosy. So some of the things that I know, she's going to be like, how did he know that? But it's a <laughs> gift. I have Miss Cynthia all the way from Ghana. And yes, I said Ghana, you guys. So if you are looking for an internship or an opportunity, you can bug her later with the links yeah. in the description below. When all of you Black Americans especially want to travel to Africa, you always pick Ghana. So Cynthia, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hi, Kellen. Thank you very much. I am very great. It's about, it's just gone past 7 p.m. in Accra. And as usual, the weather is quite hot, but you know, it is what it is in this part of, of the world. But I'm so super excited to be um, having this conversation with you. So let's dig in. Okay, and Cynthia, last week, 20 people in Texas, maybe even more, died because it was actually cold in a usual hot state. So some <laughs> yeah. folks are like, give us that heat, you know, so count your, count your blessings on that heat. I mean, that'll keep Hallelujah. you young and beautiful. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. We actually appreciate the heat. I mean, sometimes, sometimes it gets a little too hot. But, you know, typically I, I, I can't complain because, listen, we can walk around in our shorts any day, any time and be very comfortable, you know. So I am definitely I agree with you. We are blessed here, but really sad to hear about what happened in Texas. And I think it could have been managed better. But I've seen some jokes online from um, Africans teasing about the fact that they've had experience with <laughs> the power cuts and whatnot. So it's not so bad for them. But for people who are not used to that, you know, taking care of themselves with um, power cuts, it's very difficult to handle. So um, hope that that works out um, sooner than later. And um, from us here, sending some warmth and heat to the people in Texas. Well, and you are no, you I know, did, I lived in Dallas. I actually lived in Dallas at some point in time. So I do commiserate with um, the people of Texas more than you think, because I, I still remember my apartment in Dallas and I, I loved my time living in Dallas. Well, you were going into my next question because I'm a grambling tiger and you are a crimson <laughs> tiger. So, you know, yeah. Mm. And, yeah. And, you know, and you know what? Before I get into your Clemson thing, and she she already spoiled the Dallas. I was going to use that later, you guys. <laughs> there are still clubs now that are talking about the times that she would turn up when she was in Dallas. So you guys in Dallas, you know what I'm talking about. This face is very familiar to you. But... <laughs> Tell us, when you came to the States, yeah. was PR something already on your mind that you knew that you wanted to make a career out of it? 
Wow. So um, it was it was under consideration. So when I came to the States, oh, by the way, like go Tigers. Just want to say go Tigers. So just go Tigers. Um, but yeah, when I came to the States, I originally came to the States thinking I was going to do a PhD. Um, at the time, you know, I was working in a, in a management consulting firm, an institutional reform firm in Ghana. And um, when I left, I was of the field that, you know, I was a bit, little bit of an academic, a little bit of a nerd, even though I was, I was the, typically the kind of person who would enjoy being out and about. And at the time, I thought that having a PhD would be really good for me, starting point, where I could always have this fallback, this academic fallback that I would, I would kind of keep throughout my life and still be able to pursue other interests. So I came in my, like, with the thinking that, hey, let me get my PhD. When I'm done with my PhD, I can do whatever. I can be a PR person. I can be, you know, what kind of, whatever kind of comms person in some kind of international organization. Those were my original goals. I, I wasn't, as I, as I entered the country of the United States of America, I can't tell you for a fact that I was convinced that, you know, um, my career was absolutely going to go um, in the direction of um, PR. Definitely not. Yeah. And and so when did you get hit with the PR bug? So um, so here's the thing. The interesting thing is actually that I have been doing PR for so long. I mean, all through um, school, I, all the all my interests were PR related. Funny enough, all my interests were PR related, right down to the jobs I had. Even when I finished my undergrad, um, I, I, I lived in the UK for a while. I worked for a pharmaceutical company for a while. And a lot of the jobs I was doing was heavily communications focused. When I came to Ghana, I returned to Ghana. I did what we call our national service. And I did that in the Ministry of Communications. And I found that I ended up being those that were very communications focused. You know, I helped to organize um, a conference, like a conference for African states, and I remember at the time I met this woman who was, you know, deep in the, the, the production of things. And I thought, wow, this lady is someone I'd love to be like, you know, but all of that were, were PR moments that I didn't recognize at the time. At the time, I thought, oh, OK, this is cool. But I didn't I didn't actually see that those were formative moments for me. So even up until the point where I was a junior consultant at this management consulting firm in Accra, um, what happened was I would get drawn into projects that often had to do with communications and PR. So it was actually, that was what really determined my choice of communications as a master's program. Although coming into the program, I thought I was going to do a PhD. I didn't actually think I was going to practice fully, but I think that in some ways there was always that, you know, drive towards PR as a profession that I just didn't recognize because I was still young in the field and also in terms of maturity. But once I got to grad school, you know, I was working. So because of, because of the nature of grad school, you know, during the day I had an assistantship, so I would teach. And then I would also work at a PR. So I decided to get some experience. I worked at a PR firm in Greenville, South Carolina called Smoke. And I remember that working with Smoke, I just felt like a whole new world was opened up to me, right? And I was like, wow, this is so cool. Like, this PR agency thing is the best thing ever. I mean, I thought about it, but I was like, am I sure I want to be a teacher? Like, do I really want to do the academics? You know, and even though I enjoyed, I was a teacher, I used to teach um, freshman um, composition and I enjoyed it thoroughly, but I quickly realized by the end of my first year in grad school, I quickly realized that I wasn't certain that academia was for me and I was enjoying everything else 
um, that was communication related. I was enjoying um, the strategy of it. I was enjoying, you know, actually putting things together, um, working with this PR firm in Greenville. And Greenville was about an hour away from Clemson. So you can imagine, it's like even the whole process of getting there, being very excited about getting there. I mean, I had such great experiences. We went on a grief seminar. I, I remember I used to think to myself, I never imagined myself working on a seminar for dead, the dead, but here I am totally excited about it. So that, that has to come to something, right? So anyway, all of those experiences just added to my decision to not pursue a, a PhD. And then even my decision to, instead of doing a research project for my master's, to do a, um, what's it called, a, a client project. So for me, that was the first decision, deciding to do a client project, because typically when you do a client project, it means you want to go into corporate. So that was the first decision I made. So with that, my second year was mainly like um, figuring things out, you know, deciding that this is what I wanted to pursue and trying to understand where that direction would take me. But I really like to think that a lot of it was just, a lot of it was, you know, guidance from God and me following um, what I thought worked for me and what was important to me and what I enjoyed doing. So that's how come I ended up being a PR artist. <laughs> well, As maybe you maybe you didn't do your doctorate, but you definitely went an extra step in PR. And I want you to let the people know how yeah. has being, being certified APR helped you in your career? Because would you yeah. advise others to take that route? Yeah. Yeah. So being an accredited um, PR professional has been, I think for me, it's really a cherry on top um, because uh, I'll admit, I didn't go through the full um, exam process. I didn't take all the exam process because they have, uh, they give you an opportunity to, you're exempted. So you end up literally doing a presentation and sitting before a board and defending why you need to be exempted and why you are, um, you have the experience required to get the APR. Now, it was quite a very challenging interview because, of course, the people on the board were very key senior um, PR professionals in, in Ghana. But I can tell you for a fact that having achieved that APR, it's sort of, um, it's provided me with that clout, that extra clout, that extra cherry on top within the industry in Ghana that people say, okay, this is, she is confirmed. We knew she was good, but she is confirmed, certified good. You know, so that extra thing. So if, if I had considered it previously in my early in my career, I think it would have also helped me along in, you know, getting better roles. But anyway, hey, I'm excited to have it now. And I appreciate um, all the love it gets me out there when I, when I mention it. Now, when you are defending yourself, um, I think like a dissertation, you know, yeah. how, what do you have to do? Because a lot of folks say, Kellen, should I be APR? Will I make any more money? And I say, <laughs> it just depends on what route you want to go because, you know, you could get all the certifications in the world, but if you're not really maybe good at doing corporate work or government work Absolutely. or whatever that requirement is, right? Or you don't fit in is, is a big thing that corporate says. Do you fit in? Yeah. Um, what, what can you say to say, hey, I've worked on 100 projects, probably more than some of you who I'm defending. Like, what did you have <laughs> to say to get them to go? You hear the arrogance in my voice, being the professor of PR. I'm thinking, <laughs> what would I say to people who they might have done this, but they have a whole team where we've created teams? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think one thing is um, insights. You know, there's something 
it's you can't take away the experience and the insights that come from having been there done and having done that so when you sit in front of people who have been there done that and you and they ask you questions and off the bat you're able to answer without even thinking too heavily that in itself proves the fact that you deserve to be having that conversation in the first place now yes i always tell people that i um the fact that majority of my career has been agency side has been really helpful for me because that actually has um, propelled me to the position that I'm in. And like you mentioned, I've worked for multiple clients, possibly hundreds of clients doing different things. And that just the mere fact that I've been able to work on several projects means that I can walk into any room and have a conversation confidently. Now that's something that you can slap me awake in the middle of the night and I will do. I would have a conversation about one thing or the other without fumbling per se. And that, in all honesty, is the, is the advantage that experience working agency side gives you. So sitting in front of key people, I think the biggest challenge was my nerves, if I'm really honest with you. <laughs> because it's more or less like having people question you when you are so used to going in there and expecting to, you know, bowl them over. But in this case, these are people who are, you know, been there, they've already been there, they've done that. And, you know, um, impressing them is a completely different ball game from impressing the clients. So I think that that was actually my biggest challenge, my nerves, interestingly enough. But beyond that, I found that, you know, just the mere experience of the job itself, the fact that I have um, worked for a variety of clients from non-profit to mining to law to name it i've probably been there it lends a confidence that is difficult to shake unless of course it's it's nervousness from just being in front of um, your seniors now when you talk about your name yeah. can you tell the audience because a name means a lot on the continent usually outside of america you've been to america so you know a name could be anything you could be you know so and so <laughs> forbes nobody really yeah. thinks too much of it but can you talk about how your name was so impactful so um i actually the, the, the beauty of my name is that it shows that i'm a very diverse person even in ghana so uh, my lineage is um, i come from four different tribes so typically most people come from one tribe or two tribes but I am, um, my mom and my dad's side, I come from different tribes and they are both matrilineal and patrilineal. So it's very difficult to determine which side I'm taking. So on my mom's side, I am um, from the Adan and then the Fanti tribe of Ghana. From my dad's side, I'm from the Achim, which is Akan. And then, um, and then the Ewe tribe, you know, and that, that forms my name. And my name is Cynthia Ejwam. Koko Akuto Uforijunfo. That's actually my full name. Now, Cynthia is just a relic of colonialism. I like to say that. When <laughs> in the 80s, our parents gave us English names or just any name that sounded non-Ghanian, you know, and um, it's, I think it's a Greek name that means goddess, actually. That's what Cynthia means. But um, Cynthia is my name. It's that I identify with Cynthia. But in all honesty, I really feel Ghanian when I look at my middle names. Aram, and Aram means loved of God. And, you know, Aram and um, Koko is um, an Adan, Aram is an Ewe name, and um, Koko is an Adan name, meaning second daughter. And, you know, in Ghana, we tend to name our children, apart from specific um, names that lend to, you know, 
where the father and mother were at the time of the child's birth. There's also the day names, and then you know the your position in the family. So as a second born, I'm Koko. And then I have an extra LA name thrown in, um, given to me by my auntie, <laughs> which is Akuto. And then of course there's my last name, Ofori Jumfo, which um, literally translates to um, Ofori the blacksmith, um, which is an Akim name. So, and even in Ghana, the name Ofori Jumfo is not that common. So typically if you say Ofori Jumfo anywhere, I will turn and be like, ah, you're my relative. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And you guys, you heard how the name, that's why the bride price is so high. Um, you can <laughs> inbox me if you want to talk more about that. It, but there are a lot of people that have to chop, you know, and be a part of this, but it'll be well worth it. So, you know, doing doing PR and proving yourself that you can do it in corporate you yeah. know, you're, you've come to America, you see how, you know, you have people who don't know their lineage and then yeah. to go back to Ghana and to be able yeah. to do it in corporate. Do you find yeah. that, you know, you mentioned um, colonization that yeah. does PR change at all in Ghana? Are you able to be more yourself? Um, are projects not having to be explained as much to mm-hmm. um, the Mzungu? You know, a little bit of Swahili, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, in Ghana, we call them a in Ghana. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Um, and, and so, does it does it change, or do things the principles kind of stay the same? Mm-hmm. So I will be honest, and I'll tell you that the principles remain the same. And I'll tell you that a lot of the structures that we currently have in this country are frankly borrowed from our colonial masters. And I, I can't even say borrowed because they are what they are. These are structures that were handed down to us. And it's going to be very hard for us to change. So I think that in itself, if you think about the fact that those structures are localized, so that's another thing. We inherited them from our colonial masters, but we also localized these structures. So what you have now is a hybrid of, you know, even take, for instance, Ghanaian English. It is very much Ghanaian. The way we speak, how we speak, we speak with a very, we speak very emphatically. We like to add a lot of sounds, mm, the as, that. Yeah, you know, all of that adds to, you know, how we express ourselves and how we communicate. So, yes, you can talk about, you know, the technical structures of how things are done in the communications and PR, but the bottom lines remain the same across board. The bottom lines being, you know, understanding the audience, you know, communicating the right type of messaging, you know, being in the right spaces, all of those are standard. However, beyond the structures given to us by our colonial masters, you find that things are very nuanced in our society where you need to understand the people in order to be able to effectively communicate. Now, what you technically see in a lot of um, scenarios is sometimes you see international organizations wanting to come in with a cookie cutter type of approach, and then they come in and they expect that things will work automatically. After all, we are an English speaking country, but then they're in for a surprise because they get in here and they realize that nobody cares. No one's paying attention, you know, um, they're not getting the kind of results they expect, but that's because, you know, it's very condescending, right? Or it just doesn't hit the spot because the language doesn't, um, it's not relatable. So in some ways, you know, we've learned how to evolve. We've understood, we've taken things over. We've, you know, made things our own. And as much as it's, um, it's colonial, it's still very much Ghanaian at the end of the day. So, you need even coming to practice in Ghana, 
right? As a PR person, as a publicist, as a communications marketing person, you need to be able to understand how things work in Ghana in order to survive. You need to get with the program, really. You can't, you can't excel without getting with the program. Like, what are you doing? You can't, you can't come in with, you can be American, yeah, but like at some point in time, you need to understand how things work here. You need to understand the dynamics of the Bronies, you know, a lot of African-Americans are very surprised when they come to Ghana and they're referred to as Obroni because Obroni technically means foreigner or white person. And they say, oh, I'm not an Obroni. I'm black like you. <laughs> but then the truth is you are black like Ghanaians, but they don't see you as one of them because they feel like, you know, you don't necessarily understand the way they live, you know, how they think. Oftentimes, unfortunately, there's a condescending attitude towards the locals. You know, all of those dynamics play into how people interact, you know, with um, with companies, with individuals when it comes to, you know, um, communications and everything else in between. Yeah. Well, I always tell Black Americans before going yeah. anywhere, but especially going to Africa, do not yeah. think you're going to save Africa. Only Jesus saves. You can come with your, <laughs> your money, your U.S. dollars, turn them into CDs and, right. you know, it, and then invest and right. learn, but come yeah. with a, a blank slate because, you know, as you, you know, <laughs> being here, yeah. America has this arrogance of we're going to go save the world, no matter if you're white, black or in between. Right. And I seen that I have honestly I have seen that and I've seen that because you know also with my work the the great I think that I am lucky to have had that opportunity to work abroad so work in the states work in the UK I've worked on much multiple projects across um, various continents so you know at some point in time I can actually tell you the difference in how people react to things and oftentimes you know people come in with that perspective of oh you know I know better and I can assure you that you're not going to get anywhere with that attitude, you know. <laughs> and it's unfortunate because people just don't, it, it takes experience to get to that point. Because for some people, there's nothing you can tell them to prepare them that, you know, gets them to understand until they've hit a roadblock. Then you're like, oh, wait, okay, you know, we need to like, yeah, yeah we are not coming to save you guys. Yeah, like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And let me listen to what you have to say what they're talking about but look most of the time they have to hit that roadblock first most of the time i'll be honest with you most of the time you know but i think it's not it's not um it's 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 i, I think at this point in time you know you can't come to the continent you can't come to africa to ghana and bring that mindset i mean it's 2021 for goodness sake let's be real the internet is everywhere you have kids in nigeria who are trending across the world you have no excuse for not understanding how things work Everything is at your fingertips. And I remember when I was in grad school, for instance, I ended up being that African chick, right? Because first and foremost, I didn't even realize my identity as an African and a Ghanaian until I, I went to school and I traveled. But somehow when I went to school in America, suddenly I realized, oh, wow, I'm black. I'm an African. And, you know, I guess that's the beauty of growing up in a, in a space in a homogeneous society. And I suddenly found myself defending Africanness and becoming this de facto representative of the continent. <laughs> and half of the time I would tell people, look, I don't know what's going on in Uganda. I have no idea. I'm just as lost as you are when it comes to things happening in Tanzania, in Algeria. Listen, all I know is West Africa and 
Nigeria, I don't think I have a right to speak for the rest of the continent. But of course, I, I was put in that position. I remember that a lot of times you have these myopic perspec perspectives of who we are as a people and how we are. And I, I realized that unwittingly I became this, hey, you know, before you're going to talk, do you mind Googling? That was, I became that person. I was like, hey, if you're going to make a comment about whatever, hey, before you do that, just Google. It's right there. You have no excuse. All you need to do is check it out and see uh, how does this work here? What are the people there doing? And I was, I, was, I was put in a position where I was very excited to share my culture, to tell people that we are not um, what they think they see on TV um, and all of that, that you know, we are absolutely intelligent beings. The fact that our English doesn't come out the same way as yours doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that we are any less intelligent than you are. But just all of those experiences, you know, lend to that African and America um, perspective. Well, Ghana is one of those countries that is it's almost getting the rep, at least from the American side of South yeah. Africa, where, oh, OK, did you go to Africa? OK, if you went to South Africa, you went to the Europe of Africa. Now it's if you mm -hmm. went to Ghana, you went to the more organized parts and you, you didn't you didn't really like it's like they want you to be in the mud, in the village, eating soya like, you know, and palm wine fresh from the tap, which is a beautiful thing. y'all. It's a beautiful thing. But it's it's like what? What is, you know, I'm, you're not African enough or you're not black enough. Did you get any yeah. kind of when you came back from going from Ubers to black cabs to maybe taking a tuk-tuk or something? Um, did you get any backlash like, hey, you left. You're, you know, you're an abroni because, you know, you left and now you come with all this other experience where maybe you're not relatable. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I did not. So to be honest, I think that it was more like, um, uh, yeah, you think you've been there, yes, in some ways. You think you've been there, so you know whatever. But to be honest, you know, no one really cares. All they want is do you get what they are doing and what they are saying. That's what's most important to a lot of people. You know, yeah, so what? You've been there, done that. Yeah, so what? Really, so what? I think a lot of times people have a, a high opinion of themselves. And they come in and they realize that, oh, you know, life is just moving on as is. Now, let's talk about Ghana, about the fact that Ghana is considered the gateway to Africa. Now, <laughs> admittedly, that is because, one, we speak English. We speak the Queen's English, you know, and um, also the fact that we are known to be super hospitable. But that's partly because in our nature, we never say a bad thing about a foreigner. <laughs> we will pretend to be very sweet and nice. But if it was one of us, we will be very, like, hard with the person. But typically, people... Africa thinking that, oh, yeah, Ghana is easy. Well, truthfully, Ghana is easy in terms of language. You know, you don't have to struggle so much because where you come in, people sort of understand. We're used to a lot of foreigners. But at the same time, when they come in, they, at some point in time, unless you're coming in for like five days and partying it up all five days, typically, if you come into Ghana, at some point in time, you're going to realize that uh, I need to understand how things work in order to you know, be successful or whatever I'm doing here. Even if it's a holiday, you need to understand how people communicate. Because otherwise, you know, people will be very nice to you. Don't, <laughs> we have a thing in Ghana where people don't like to say no. So <laughs> if you're trying to get somewhere, they don't know where, where the place is. They'll give you terrible directions <laughs> just because they don't want to tell you that they don't know where you are. 
I think that's a black thing. I think black folks, if you ask black folks for directions, it's always down the street and around the corner. Be careful. Find somebody else to give you directions. Exactly. You know, you can't trust Google all the time, though, for directions in Ghana. And I'm just putting that out there to the world because sometimes the data connection is a little, you know, it's a little terrible. So you might get the wrong directions to get somewhere. But if you ask someone and they tell you down the road behind the kiosk, I can't say you can trust those directions. You you definitely can't trust those. <laughs> now you've had a lot of you've had a lot of success with PR and with yeah. success, you know, um, much is given, much is required. The 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 great you know saying, great great scriptures. Um, but what is a community give back that you are doing or that you want to do in the future? Mm-hmm. So. Um, so I'll be honest and I'll say that I don't have a very structured community give back in the last few years. In, in the past, up until I think four years ago, I was active in the Rotary Club. So, you know, the Rotary International, it has um, very wide, um, it has a very wide reach across the world, even in Ghana. So we have these Rotary Clubs and Rotaract Clubs. So I used to be in a Rotaract, which is the under 30s um, club. Um, many years back. And actually with Rotaract, interestingly enough, I had the opportunity to serve my community in various places. I was in a Rotaract club in university. When I finished school, I was in a professional club. Um, when I went to the UK, I was on the, in the London Bridge Club. In Clemson, I joined the Clemson Club. When I got back to Ghana, things were a bit hectic, so I didn't necessarily continue that um, career. But with Rotary, I was able to do a lot of things that I'm very proud about. Like for instance, even setting up the first leukemia um, leukemia directory in West Africa. You know, it was a project that we embarked on as part of Rotary. So there is that public service element that I had from all of my stints with that club, from being a part of the club, from leading, being a leader of these of this club in various capacities. But beyond that, moving into my full-time career in the last few years, I have found that the most that I've done to give back is actually supporting small businesses and then supporting up and coming um, PR professionals. So for small businesses, what I do is I tend to spend a lot of time with startups who are thinking through you know, their go-to-market planning, who need some advice and typically don't have access to um, you know, the big shots of the world. And oftentimes who need a perspective that marries the, you know, the international, the best practice standards with the reality of the local market. So I, I, I used to spend a lot of time in a work, work space in Accra called Impact Have Accra. So I used to spend a lot of time just you know, working with nonprofits, with um, startup businesses that were just trying to figure their way out in terms of going to market, in terms of marketing, planning, communications, and then also just having informal interactions with people that I've worked with, um, with, my, with my younger colleagues, and talking them through the process and about, you know, the things that they need to consider when they are trying to build their career in public relations in, in, in Ghana. Now, the, the truth is the community is a very small community. It's a, it's, a niche, it's a niche profession. And as much as we like to think we are all over, we are not necessarily um, a very large profession in Ghana. Although you would typically have a communications person in most organizations, the actual practice of it, the Hence, practice of it, is what I should say, is um, really very niche. So you is have it young well people. paid. Unfortunately, no, 
It's not. So you have different, different categories. You have those who want to be freelancers. And we found in the last couple of years, freelancers are beginning to take root. But I even, I, when I came back from the States, I was actually a consultant and a freelancer for a bit. And then I quickly realized that, hey, I was not going to make any money. Like, listen, I have to pay bills. Like, I can't pay bills with my freelance salary. And, you know, working for small businesses, it wasn't going to work. So I had to move into um, agency quickly because I quickly realized that also there's a thing about, you know, getting access to networks. And um, in, this, in this space, the access to network comes from being within the major um, agencies and having access to major clients, you know, working in that space. So um, at some point in time, that afforded me the experience and the perspective that I was able to share with others who either were freelancers or were um, starting their own businesses. And then also my younger colleagues who are looking to grow. So typically most people will say, hey, you know, um, looking at my career trajectory, I have um, grown really fast to the point where I am. Typically my role is a CMO role in a group, right? And I tell them that what they don't recognize are the many hours that I spent um, working at agency and also just um, recognizing the different opportunities. So I moved quickly through different agencies, um, doing different things. So that also helped me to build that, um, that background of experience. So I've done everything, digital, media, PR, um, I mean, um, intense PR, you know, everything. I've, <laughs> I've pretty much ticked the boxes, events, um, small business, business, you know, and that perspective is what I like to share now. So when people ask me about giving back, I, I say that I look forward to a time where I can do that in a more structured manner. Because I think what we miss now in the industry is mentoring. And mentoring not in a typical top-to-bottom manner, but in a very informal, peer-to-peer, um, -peer, sometimes also just um, in a sharing manner. And that's where the industry really needs to go locally when it comes to you know, developing um, younger talent to go and also just confidence building at some point in time because that is also important to achieving growth in career so I need you to I need you to preach that even more because I feel like um, there weren't enough mentors available um, there were the people there but the the hoops that sometimes people want you to jump through of make yeah. sure that you know, you are wearing that suit. Hey, this is like a very informal event. And, I, and yeah. I'm the king of suits. I have them all. But I, <laughs> I, I know some people who they maybe did not have the budget to do that. Yeah. Um, the yeah. reason I have them all is because, you know, I have other in investment into things. And right. one of them is suits. So right. I, I can have them all. But um, I think that the older people and people know 65 and older, I pick on them all the time. Start to retire <laughs> and start grooming yeah. the next generation because it's you right. people who are the reason right. why when you complain about younger folks you we are what you created what you did not give us um yeah. i was blessed to be given given a lot so i i can't be mad but i saw a lot of folks get you know they couldn't even make their their rent because right. they couldn't get any help from the elders let me yeah. ask you this every pr person i know they have some of the same quirks about them some of them I'm not going to say on here because I don't want you to be embarrassed and we're trying to talk about bride price and everything, but entrepreneurship, I haven't met a PR 
professional who somewhere down the line is an entrepreneur, even if it's in writing a book and now they're speaking. And I know you're big into TEDx out there in Ghana. So entrepreneur, what is your, what's your plan? Is it already out? Is it coming? Um, Should I bother you next month and say, where are you at in that vision of yours? So you are spot on. Listen, you remember I mentioned that when I first returned from um, the States, you know, I came and I started as a consultant, a freelancer, and I registered a business. And um, what happened was when I moved into agency and I moved to work with one of the top agencies, um, actually, before I even got that, I I, I was marketing manager for um, a local, actually a movie theater business. Um, but um, at that point in time, I can tell you that I, I was always doing something on this side, you know, and uh, even when I started the job, I remember coming clean and telling my boss that, listen, uh, I just want you to know that I have these gigs going on. I am not about to stop these gigs because um, this is what funds my travel, <laughs> what funds my entertainment budget. <laughs> So I cannot stop. So I just wanted to let you know that I would try as much as possible to make sure that there's no conflict of interest. That's what's really important, first and foremost, that it does not take time away from my core responsibility. I think that's what's really important. And um, I was able to continue with your permission. So, I mean, for instance, um, at the time that I was working as the head of um, of PR at a local agency called Global Media Alliance. And that agency had an event, um, had a major event um, organizing business as part of its um, portfolio. And then it had PR with most of the major clients and I was heading up that business. At the same time, I was spending my weekends sitting in coffee shops, you know, working on nonprofits for smaller businesses, you know, on projects that were not necessarily, were not actually um, conflicting with anything I was doing at work. So my most memorable projects, for instance, um, which didn't pay as well, but it gave me tons of life experience, was working for a nonprofit called Amrin. And um, Amrin was into, um, it was basically African Media Malaria Research Network. And with that organization, um, raising funding from um, Rockefeller Foundation to take um, 19 journalists from across the continent to Bellagio, Italy for a conference on, you know, the upcoming SDGs on malaria. For me, that's one of the highlights of my side, my side gig because from it, we developed a, a white paper. Now, I didn't get paid much, but I, I felt like I, I got so much in terms of experience because everything happened because of me. I put in the request for funding. I developed the... the um, the proposal. I did all the coordination with Rockefeller Foundation. I coordinated all the journalists from across the continent, from um, various African countries. I traveled with them to Italy. It was a fantastic trip. You know, even the time that we spent, the, the conference itself, I was in the thick of things. Now, and, and, and as much as the nonprofit didn't pay me that much, I always say that the value of the experience was what I took away from from that particular job. So I've been able to maintain these non-conflicting side gigs all through my career. And I'll be honest about it. If anyone asks me, I say, hey, you know, first thing is, does it conflict? You know, does it take away from what I'm doing? And everyone knows, everyone in my personal life that knows me knows that my job 
is always front and center. So I will give up my weekend time to work on something for my job. But at the same time, if I have a spare minute, I'm going to work on my side gig if possible. Because I understand that, listen, um, it, it never used to, the, the, unfortunately, the, like you asked earlier, it doesn't pay well in this country. You have to achieve a certain um, um, what career grade in order to really see the money coming in. So at the lower levels, you have to do what you have to do. And I did what I had to do. And the advantage was not just the funds, but also the experience that I got from it. So you yeah. guys have been blessed with the game. You know, I don't want to give a game overload because I really want you, if you're interested, to let me know yeah. and let Cynthia know, hey, Cynthia, what's your podcast? Because that's what we're going to talk about off air. We're going to talk and push that. So make sure you like, share and subscribe and come get more. We're showing you how people started, sustained, and succeeded in their businesses, in their career path. And you see, you can't be broke if you listen and follow this game and this path. Thank you, Cynthia, for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very happy to have spent time with you. And if I may just throw in a couple of things that I've found that has worked for me in my career. And I always tell people that curiosity is such an important, you know, um, thing to have when you lose your curiosity I don't know what how you can excel because if you're curious you're interested you know you want to know more and whether it's um, in you know in front of a client or whether it's um, in your personal life when you're curious curiosity opens up so much in your life it opens up the opportunity to understand it opens up the opportunity to learn it opens up the opportunity to be a better person. And I found that being curious and being interested has what has helped me to propel my career. Being interested in what the next opportunity is, being interested in, um, you know, exploring some kind of gig, exploring how to um, execute certain things. I'd say that those are values that whether you're in Ghana or you're in um, America or you're in Guatemala, they remain foundational. And for any PR person worth their salt, if you lose your essence of curiosity and you know you lose that drive, that really pushes you, that interest, that pushes you to really go beyond what you know is set in front of you. It's not just about press releases and writing stories and well, there's a lot more behind it. But that's just me getting a little nerdy over there. So. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversify Game Podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit diversifygame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.